because you might not agree with certain things that are being pushed or sold, etc. And how can you have integrity with yourself if, uh, if you succumb to temptation of taking money from people who are pushing stuff that maybe doesn't work? So it's up to you, the listeners, to support me, to say through PayPal or personal checks, etc., whatever, or you just send cash through the mail. Some people are innovative enough to do that, and that saves them money. It saves me money because the banks all have the transaction fees, and they're not short of money as it is, since they keep getting bailed out by the taxpayer. I'll be back with more after these messages.
down through the ages, we've always had the psychopathic types, and I've talked about them before. It's an interesting, very interesting uh, study to do with psychopaths because they're rather unique creatures. They're, they're, they're almost a separate species psychologically from everyone else. The psychologists and psychiatrists are baffled by it because it has nothing to do, they say, nothing to do with uh, sort of learned behavior. They're kind of born that way. However, what is also true is that two psychopaths uh, who have offspring are generally likely to have a similar type of offspring. So it should be no surprise to anyone that those families of ancient times that became kings and queens uh, with all their nobles, their relatives around them, slaughtered their way to the top. That's how they gained prominence. They didn't get it by saying, please make me king. They killed everybody they got in their way. They poisoned people, slaughtered people, and starved people to death to get their way. And kings and queens haven't quite died off yet. Why should they? As Aldo Huxley said in one of his talks at Berkeley, and it's on my website in the archive section, you'll find his speech there. He said there's always been a dominant minority and he says, I see no reason why there shouldn't always be one. And he's quite correct. When you go into the writings of Machiavelli and others of the medieval period, you'll find how, how much of a grasp they had on history, these advisors to those who ruled. These were specialists in their fields. A tremendous grasp on history, on formula, formulas that had worked on the public in different countries all down through history, uh, and they knew how to implement the same formulas in the right sequence to get the same effects again. They always said that the public are in the dark. You keep the the public deliberately in the dark at all times. Because you see a superior breed, and that's what royalty, for instance, was. A superior breed, that's what the blue bloods were. Uh, And that's why they had their wives chosen for them, if they were kings or their husbands, if they were queens. It was for their breeding qualities to get certain traits passed on to the next. That's what they call royal bloodlines. But you also had the same thing taking off with from the mercantile class that took over from the feudal system in Europe. The mercantile class were families who already owned the trading routes across land. They owned the shipping lanes for trade and commerce and ship by sea. They were also the merchant bankers. That's where the term merchant bankers come from. In European countries, you'll still find mainstream banks called merchant banks. They loaned out money for other venturers to go out and do the trading. And they themselves would interbreed. They used royalty as basically a model. And they would interbreed themselves to create a mercantile banker class. That's what the Rothschilds were doing. They weren't the only ones at it at the same time. 
And there was also a different religion behind all of this. You'll find traces of the present, the present New Age movement. Much of it came from Gnosticism. And Gnosticism appeared in the Middle Ages in Europe. It was supposedly dead for a thousand years and suddenly it was there. It never really died out. And that's what the Albigensians, the Cathars and the Bogomils were. These are all different names for the areas they lived in, except for the Bogomils that took the name after the supposedly the founder. But these were all Gnostic sects belonging to the one the one group or church, you might say. And they were very, very wealthy people. They had their own banking system. They believed in reincarnation. They believed in transmigration of souls and how souls could come back as different animals. is very much like Hinduism, and that's what often confuses it today. Part of their higher sect also believed that if there was intercourse between two higher, much higher, perfecti, they called them, then the offspring was perfect and therefore a god. They also believed that inferior types of humans could come back as various animals. It's so much like Hinduism. But it was a Hinduism blended with religions of the Middle East. They were also vegetarian. Although the lower orders didn't have to follow that particular rule. As I say, these big, powerful families moved across Europe as merchant bankers. And with incredible wealth, they soon were favorites at royal courts because they'd lent so much money. They took over the central banking systems, which I personally believe were already prepared for them to take over. Otherwise, you wouldn't have a central banking system in the first place. went on they always looked to the future the future was to be theirs they had divided the world under Gnosticism into a system of evil and good and the world of matter technically was evil but it was a, a sort of redemption for those who could become perfect And their children could escape it. They could live in the world, but still escape it to an extent. And gone to greater things. But they also believed that they could perfect that which was left and perfect everything in the world. Not everything. It was understood there were inferior species of humanity. This is what they believed. And that the two could never coexist together. Going back to the Rothschilds as one example and by the way the Albigensians and the Bogomils and so on had sects which were Christian on the front they had sects which were Jewish they had different sects you come into it and join them because it would accept anybody just the same as Freemasonry does today Then, of course, you were 
gradually brought into the true meanings if they could trust you and if they thought you were ready or qualified for it. Not everyone would get into the higher meanings. Very old sects. And of course, that was their link too with the Knights Templars because many of the Templars settled in that area of France where the Albigensians were. And they were also technically a Gnostic sect working towards perfection. Remember, the Templars themselves were the first real banking institution on the planet, international. They set up a money system where they could use checks as payments. So they kept the gold in the vaults. Back with more after this break. Earth. 
the right people, the right people, I should say, to be perfected here on earth. And for the rest of them, they couldn't be. And it's coupled, of course, with Platonism and Neoplatonism from Alexandria. Because that doctrine also believed that there were naturally born aristocratic types not necessarily born into the families, but the intelligentsia, that's what, uh, that's what you'll find some of the founding fathers were talking about when they talked about the natural aristocracy. They were talking about themselves. Intelligentsia, the illumined ones. And we ourselves have been living through a time when the end, basically, of an ongoing series of revolutions or coup, like a coup d'etat. That's really what we're living through today because since 9-11, the final part of this plan has been promoted and pushed into action and we're now under authoritarian governments as opposed to what we thought, what we thought were democratic. In reality, these very rich people and their minions, they help them most of whom are not even in the real now. But these rich people already had owned the Western world through commerce. And they already owned the banking systems of the various countries. And they could therefore dictate policy to governments. That's exactly what the IMF, for instance, is for. The International Monetary Fund comes in when you're basically bankrupt, and it will sit on in every major decision that parliaments or Congress takes and tell you what to do until their loans are being paid off at a satisfactory rate and a rate of interest at that. That's where the word comes. What's your, or the term comes from, what's your interest? It's a rate of interest. How do you perfect that which is left imperfect if you can't do it with everyone while well, you get rid of the other types? Because these guys, you see, always look to the future. The Rothschilds, for instance, were one of many of these families who funded organizations into existence to do with futurism. In futurism, they bring the so-called experts in who sit in think tanks where they have brainstorming going on. Brainstorming is where everyone can see anything they want, put forth any idea, and then they'll debate that idea into oblivion, almost. Then they'll take the outcome of that and make it a premise, and eventually that premise becomes part of their policy. Futurism. We're always born, as I say, into a generation. Each one's born to their own generation with their ongoing problems. You're tied up with the problems around you and your family, etc. Basic survival. And people don't question much beyond that. They don't question who's pulling the strings, who's planning the future, who's making all of this unfurl along a published path. We'll be back with more after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
This is cutting through the matrix. Just tying a few loose ends for people. Because really, until you really dig into history, you'll be taken off in lots of set-out wild goose chases that'll keep you going in circles forever. These are intentional. But the old history books, hopefully, are still out there, here and there. Although everything's going digital and lots of stuff is disappearing, that's exactly how it's supposed to go. Getting back to this belief system that's been with us for an awful long time, that's very prevalent today. We see some of the top singers and so on. I see Paul McCartney's out there for pushing uh, Vegetarian Day and so on to save the planet from more global warming and animals are bad and all that kind of stuff. But you go back into, as I say, the origins of this movement. This, this movement spawned the Rosicrucianism. It was behind it. Rosicrucianism was a front for it. And eventually Freemasonry became another front for it. Many fronts for it. Then all throughout academia, because the Masons have no problem telling you that their history shows they pushed education. In fact, one of the biggest groups in France were called encyclopedists. And they pushed education. But I said education because, after all, education shapes your mind. And you can be used to help work through an agenda and have no real, real idea of what the agenda is. You'll think you do, but you'll always be wrong. You'll always be wrong until you understand the religion. You see, back to the big futurist think tanks that the big merchant bankers promoted to ensure their own survival into the future. They had to look at everything that could be a problem to them, everything that could be a barrier to their own survival. And that included all the other types of ordinary humans, you know, the unenlightened ones, the profane, the common types. And therefore they decided to have war upon them. We think of war as being two armies opposing each other across a battlefield. And that's how you're meant to think of it. However, if you go into areas like the CIA or the Pentagon or the Home Office of Britain, you'll find that war takes many, many different directions. And it's, they use many different methods. They have short-term and long-term strategies. If it's always been part of your belief system that a few must go on into a future, you're always talking about creating a golden age, a utopia. But remember, they can't fit everyone into the utopia, neither do they want to. They want to bring those who have proven their worthiness. You find that through all their writings, worthiness. They want to bring them through. And by worthiness, they mean a person who's served their system, their community, who's prospered in their system, their community, who knows how to keep secrets from outside their community. And they're talking about those who've held on to wealth through many generations. 
those who in the Darwinistic ideal have had their partners selected for them over so many generations to breed in the better qualities and breed out the bad. It's all about breeding. How do you fight wars? Well, obviously, if your enemy is there and you, you want to kill off your enemy and they're walking around in city streets, that's in ordinary countries, you can't tell them that you're killing them. That's number one. They might object. So everything that's done has to be made official at the top in all security agencies, implemented by stealth, and classified for reasons of national security for 50 years or 100 years or whatever term they put up on it. The bringing down the population is an ideal. You see, they realize that they're almost at the stage where they can, take, they can literally live in the world. We're, we're all in the way now. We're post-industrial. These boys don't need us to fill their factories anymore. Their factories have gone. They don't need us to keep breeding up young men to go off and get killed and fight for them in wars, as they have wars of conquest. They've pretty well got the whole planet under their wing today. And say so these think tanks are ongoing all the time, all the time. Massive think tanks working with people selected from CIA, MI6, and and secret services, Mossad, etc. They're all one big party at the top. But you can't tell the victims in an unconventional war what you're doing to them. But they do realize that as they push the global warming issue and convince the public we've got to change our ways, we've got to reduce our population, what are they really, really doing? What they're really doing is making sure that when the time comes, and it will come, because they have predicted themselves 30 years of ongoing riots, etc., but the time comes to complete their mission, there'll be fewer of their enemies left to fight them. That's what it is. That's called intelligence. That's what intelligence is. It's looking to the future and seeing how you can make it your future and how you can get everyone to do your bidding to make it your future. But so they've convinced that the victims, they convinced the victims through massive long-term propaganda that they are the problem. And unfortunately, as always probably done through history, most people will go along to get along and believe what they're told. I mentioned before some of the, the videos I have of old clips of executions the Nazis did and others, the communists as well, all socialists, of course, and all funded by the big Western boys. The people who ran into the trenches and then got shot in the back of the head had already seen bunches of them doing the same thing before and getting shot up the back of the head. And I, I used to wonder, why would the next bunch run when they're told to run and wait? It's because the average person will never believe that the unthinkable is going to happen to them. That's why. That's why. 
And most people, as long as they can play, and they have enough money to play, and pay their extortion monies to all the different bosses above them, will go along with anything, right to the end. But as I say, in long-term strategy, you must reduce the population, because the population eventually, according to the futurists, are going to turn. And they're being starved, made poor, have no health care, etc. They're going to turn, obviously, on the big boys who do have all of that stuff. That's natural intelligence at work. That's how these intelligence systems operate. I've mentioned before about how they get the public to, to supposedly fight over issues and get trapped down in emotive topics. And you can't go any further with it. You can't show them the real reason that they're caught up in the anger for or against. You've got to always try and keep calm. Don't get involved in the emotional topic. Always look to see what other goals be arrived at and who benefits from the days of Malthus to the day. This website here ties in with this and it's from a religious website but the facts are facts. It's a, a report on something that's happened. It's called lifesightnews.com Peruvian government shelves investigation into massive forced sterilizations of indigenous women. This isn't the first time this has happened. It's still ongoing, by the way, in other parts of Latin America. And this article goes into who's behind it. And I've read the articles before from Kissinger when he brought out that, that bill and got it put through that the threat to the state was overpopulation. Everything went to effect then. I've gone into the big foundations, the parallel government, that really is the government that funds all the NGOs. Well, let's get back to this article by Matthew Killinan Hoffman, Latin American correspondent. Lima, June 19, 2009. Peru's government has decided to end its investigation against former health officials for thousands of forced sterilizations carried out during the late 1990s under President Alberto Fujimon. Human rights organizations have thoroughly documented evidence that women were physically coerced, threatened, tricked, and enticed with economic incentives during the implementation of the program, which sterilized a total of approximately 400,000 Peruvian women in just two years, between 1997 and 1998, with the help of, here it is, the United Nations Population Fund. That's the Bill Gates and the Rockefellers and all these boys, the big philanthropists again, you see. Almost half a million in that space, 1997, 1998. The coercive actions of program officials have been tied to pressure from the Peruvian government to meet preset sterilization quotas. Preset sterilization quotas. Economic incentives offered to desperately poor women have also been criticized as coercive and violating existing international standards for such programs. However, the provincial prosecutor in charge of human rights cases, 
Jimmy Jose Swartz reportedly claims that there is insufficient evidence to charge the nation's health ministers and other program personnel for human rights abuses. Decision to shelve the case has sparked protests from pro-life organizations as well as human rights and feminist groups. I hope our government changes decisions, says Carlos Polo, head of the Population Research Institute's Latin American office in Peru, in an interview with LifeSite News. It says here, I've personally spoken with Victoria Vigo, one of the women sterilized who presented her testimony before the U.S. Congress when the Population Research Institute presented the evidence of all the abuses committed during the program, Polo said. Now, it also has links on here to other ongoing sterilization programs by the United Nations and United States aid, U.S. aid, which supports forced sterilization across the world. And I'll put all these links up on my site at the end of the show. So look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com and go through these links at the bottom of the page too. Maybe it will stir something inside of you. Personally, with the general population today, I doubt it. They're far too gone, most people. Too jaded. And getting back to what I said earlier, this can't be happening to me. I'm okay. Do you realize that coercive and stealth techniques used here by the United Nations and the NGO groups it mentions it too, by the way, the NGO groups enlist some of them on their related sites, such as the U.S. aid supporting forced sterilization in Peru. Look at that one. And Peru sterilization campaign exposed, and Colombian House of Representatives approves national sterilization program. See who's funding and see where the money is coming from. And the experts to perform all of this forced, forced quota sterilization and then ask yourselves how would they get rid of you this is what they're doing in these countries but they can't do that here no well how could they do it to you and go over the shows I've done look at the sites I've given you to look at to do with the sterilization of the western peoples and how much of a puzzle it is to the guys at the top who know some of the causes that's in all your foodstuffs and everything else and they have for 50 years but darn they just can't do anything about it but then as I say who benefits well down the roads those who've already told us through their think tanks and you'll find that on my site too the 90 page report from the Department of Defense think tank for Britain and NATO and the one for the United States of America, they predict ongoing riots up to the year 2050 and then a sharp decline in population. They, they, they don't explain. And what they're doing now is making sure there's less of an enemy around in the future when it's their time to take over the whole world and make it into their utopia. That's what you do when you work in intelligence networks. You plan the future. You bring down the numbers of your enemies long before you do the final war, before you start the final war on them. That's what it's
all about. That's how they operate. Now we'll, we'll take some calls. We've got Mark from Holland there. Is Mark there? Hello? Yes. Hi, Alan. Hello. How are you doing? I'm hanging on here. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. great to talk to you. Wow, uh, the, the talk tonight is great. I love when you do the history because, uh, well, it's not only fascinating, but it just sheds so much light on the present, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've really enjoyed it so far. Um, I'm calling you really to ask about, uh, you know, a couple times I've, I live in The Hague, and I'm from Philadelphia originally. I moved over here in 1996. And once in a while I've heard you refer to The Hague and you, you have a funny tone in your voice and I've always wanted to ask you if there's uh, something interesting you can tell me about The Hague. Well, The Hague is, is one of these odd places. In fact, the, the county of Orange is one of these odd places that has a form of... Um, it's like the city of London. It's right. like the Vatican Rome and you also got Washington, D.C. These are all literally sovereign um, powers... Oh, so the Hague is like that today as well? Yes. Yeah. Oh, and, okay. and that's why, uh, you, you see, when they brought in, <clears throat> again, it ties in with tonight's show to an extent, because people always think of uh, Protestantism as coming just from Martin Luther. And Martin Luther, of course, had his symbol, his family symbol, as a rose and cross. But hold on, and I'll go into this um, after these messages, because it ties in with tonight's show. Alan Watts, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix, talking from Mark from Holland about the Hague in Holland. And when you go into the histories of the incredible religious wars there again, uh, you'll find really uh, that it was really William of Orange, that county there, who was sent over to Britain eventually. And, and uh, turn Britain into uh, a Presbyterian or, or Protestant nation and enforce it by massive slaughter, you know. And okay. that's what was done. So it was a stronghold, really, for a particular group that lived uh, in that area but had come from elsewhere over time. And as I say, this stuff goes back into the old um, Albigensian and Cathars uh, religion, really, that's what was behind this, because they voted a long, long time ago. They swore they would eradicate the Catholic Church, and this was an ongoing battle uh, with it, really, in a sense. And when they moved into Holland, uh, Holland wasn't known for much before they moved in, and suddenly Holland became the mercantile capital of the world for, for quite some time because they brought in the money with them. Uh, they brought the money in and the big families who already ran the trading routes, etc. And they made it very rich very, very quickly. And Holland itself was a center for this. And that's why, of course, the UN set off at The Hague, their big building there. That was one of the first ones they, they, they established their various constitutions at. And, yeah, of it's, course, it's interesting that that big black widow spider with the, all the eggs underneath it uh, in one of their, their big buildings there at the United Nations in The Hague. But yeah, it's, I, I it's highly symbolic of an occult side. you mention it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's highly occultic. And um, 
Yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that around here. Well, actually, there's there's a lodge uh, uh, around the corner from me that I, I lived here in this apartment for six years, and I just noticed it a couple of weeks ago by looking at this tiny little sign, and it just says the lodge building. But when you look up at the artwork and you see a compass and all kinds of other stuff, mm-hmm. uh, Masonic symbols, you know. And I thought, yeah, oh, someone I sent me some photographs of of some of these buildings, and they're so blatant with it. There, it's, it's rather astonishing. Yeah, and they have the parliament here, and then they have this really old building in the middle of it, which is called the Ritterzaal, which is the, the Knights Hall. Yeah. And, you you know, they give tours through there, but then at certain times it's just closed, and they, they don't, I haven't been able to figure out what they do in there, but the royal family just uses it at certain times of year, and then it's you, you can't get in there. But normally you can take a daily tour through the parliament and through the, the Knights Hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think it's kind of interesting. Nobody knows what goes on in there <laughs> yeah. uh, when they do when they when they close it off. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's an interesting place, that's for sure. Yes. Uh, once you once you find out about what's you know what's what's behind it and the history of it, uh, I had no idea about it when I came here. Um, yeah. I was sort of running away because uh, I, I was so disillusioned by what was going on in my own country in the states but i didn't know about the big picture until a few years ago you know looking into 9-11 i eventually found your show and i thought wow here i am in the middle of all this uh, where a lot of the real world power really is yes and and the people here all just look at the united states although there's a lot of awake people here the one thing they don't realize is their own country's role in the situation that, that, that that's that's how they do it. They always keep the, the, each country in the dark and keep you uh, looking at some other country at the same time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They think yeah. it's just little Holland. We don't have any influence. Yeah, really. There's some very rich people in Holland. <laughs> yeah. Very old families. <laughs> but thanks for calling. For Dave from New Zealand uh, or Arizona, Andrea and Yvonne, uh, please call in next week and we're out of time now. So from Hamish, who's the dog, and myself from Ontario, Canada. It's good night to me, your God, or your God's go with you. Mm-hmm.